Chapter 12, Part 2 of U.S. Marine Operations in Korea, 1950-1953, Volume 2, The Inchon Seoul Operation, by Lynn Montross and Nicholas Canzona. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Main Line of Resistance Climax of the Marine Assault as the eastern sky turned gray on the Saturday morning of 24 September, the men on the firing line northwest of Seoul knew that the time had come. They knew with the instinct of battle-wise troops that supporting arms had done all they could. Now it was up to the infantry to come to grips with the enemy. Supporting arms could only sue for victory, and it was up to the infantry to collect. The two companies of 2-5 were still clinging by their eyelashes to the scarred slopes of Hill 56. All three of the Company F platoon leaders, Nolan, Anderson, and Belbusti, were carrying on in spite of wounds. Corporal Walden D. Harris, who had killed three Red Koreans in hand-to-hand -hand combat the day before, refused to be evacuated after a second wound. The survivors of Captain Peter's outfit could not say too much in praise of the support given continuously throughout the night by Captain Arnold C. Hofstetter's Baker Battery of the 11th Marines. There were indications that several incipient NKPA counterattacks had been broken up during the night by the bombardment. In the dog company zone, the night had been relatively uneventful except for sniping, though the enemy could be heard digging new positions and bringing up ammunition. The regimental scheme of maneuver, as outlined in Operation Order 26-50, called for the 2nd Battalion to continue the attack with Hill 105N as the final objective. This meant going up against practically the entire Hill 296 defense system since Smith's Ridge and all of Hill 88 also remained to be seized. An estimated 2,500 enemy troops well supported by automatic weapons, mortars, and artillery were defending every foot of defensible ground in front of the two thin companies of 2-5. It was intended that 3-5 should assist by attacking down the principal eastern spur of 296 to outflank the enemy and contribute supporting fires. Taplet's men were to be relieved in gradual stages on hills 216 and 296 by elements of the 1st Battalion. As a preliminary, Newton was to send out a patrol to secure a portion of the river bank on the right flank of Hill 105S in preparation for the crossing of the Han by the 1st Marines that morning. The reserve company of 1-5 would then commence the relief of the 3rd Battalion while the 1st Battalion of the KMC Regiment remained in an assembly area in the rear of the 5th Marines and elements of the 7th Marines protected the left flank. Units of 1-5 were to continue to defend 105S, seized and held at a total cost of 27 KIA and 72 WIA, until the crossing of the 1st Marines and the relief of 3-5 had been completed. Two small enemy counterattacks were repulsed without much trouble by elements of 3-5 on Hill 296 before dawn. Company H remained in contact with the enemy on the eastern slopes until 1550, when Company G moved around the right flank and a coordinated attack was launched against moderate NKPA artillery, mortar, and AT fires. Relief of Item Company and other 3-5 troops remaining on Hill 216 was completed by the 1st Battalion at 2000. Casualties of the 3rd Battalion for the day were 5 killed and 33 wounded. 
The movements of these two battalions were subsidiary to the main attack launched by 2-5 on 24 September. H-Hour at 0630 was preceded by a 20-minute artillery preparation and an airstrike by VMF-323 planes. Lieutenant Colonel Royce planned to bring up Easy Company from reserve on Hill 104 and push it forward between Dog and Fox while those companies completed the seizure of Hill 56 and cleared the heavily wooded spur to the north known as Smith's Ridge, linking up with the main landmass of Hill 296. Easy Company would then take the lead in a battalion attack aimed at Hills 88 and 105N as the final objectives. Fox Company jumped off on the eastern slope of Hill 56. Nolan having been evacuated, Anderson led what was left of the 2nd and 3rd platoons, a total of some 20 riflemen. Belbusti commanded about the same number in the combined assault on the heavily defended finger of high ground east of the tunnel. Counting machine gunners, mortarmen, and troops bringing up ammunition, Fox Company had been reduced to fewer than 90 effectives, including wounded men refusing evacuation. Corsairs of VMF-323 swooped down to drop 500-pound bombs less than 100 yards in front of the attackers. Thanks to such close air support, Fox Company soon seized high ground which enabled the men to gain fire superiority. At this point, they took cover to make use of their advantage in an exchange of small arms and automatic fire. Dog Company, with two platoons still almost at full strength, had at least a dozen walking wounded who elected to keep on fighting. Ground mist and smoke from burning huts made for low visibility when the men jumped off in a column of platoons. The enemy opened up from Smith's Ridge as the Marines came within close range, pinning them down for two hours by concentrated and accurate artillery, mortar, AT, and automatic fire. One of the Marine tanks moving up the road in support was disabled by a mine and another became inoperative after a direct hit by an NKPA mortar shell on the motor hatch. The Epic of Dog Company The large knob across the sunken road from Hill 56 remained to be taken before Dog Company completed its mission by advancing northward to clear the enemy from the wooded spine of Smith's Ridge. After the attack stalled with heavy casualties, Lt. H.J. Smith ordered every available man into the line, including personnel of company headquarters. Two Marine machine guns were kept in action at a cost of repeated casualties as 1st Lt. Carl Sadell made five consecutive trips under fire to bring up ammunition. At some points, the opposing forces were within long grenade-throwing distance. In these exchanges, the Marines had a pronounced advantage because of stronger arms and the control developed by baseball. Both sides attempted without success to break the deadlock by sending out detachments for flanking movements. Sergeant Robert Smith of McNaughton's platoon led a squad in a wide-end sweep to the north, only to meet such fierce NKPA opposition that Smith and eight of his men were killed, including a corpsman. Only three wounded Marines ever got back. At 10:00, the company commander sent the first of three messages to inform the battalion CP of his situation and request reinforcements. Royce could only reply that Easy Company, his reserve unit, was irrevocably committed to the attack on the final objectives. During the course of the battle, the battalion commander himself was wounded by a mortar fragment but returned to the CP after having his arm dressed. 
When 2nd Lieutenant George Grimes' 60mm mortar section ran out of ammunition, the survivors fought as riflemen. Two platoon leaders, McNaughton and Lieutenant Howard, were wounded but continued in action. About 10.30, as the smoke and mist cleared, the howitzers of the 11th Marines and the 81mm mortars of 2.5 poured it into the enemy positions along the wooded ridge. The men on the firing line had another welcome assist when four Corsairs of VMF-323 roared in to make passes with bombs, rockets, and napalm. Lieutenant Smith had 44 effectives left as he alerted his men for the assault. McNaughton, Seidel, Grimes, and First Lieutenant Carl Worth were the other officers still on their feet. Platoons, sections, and squads had ceased to exist as units when the 44 men of Dog Company moved out of their foxholes and swarmed over the high ground that had held them up for more than two hours. First impressions under more normal circumstances would have been shocking, for the position held more enemy dead and dying than the Marines had ever seen before in Korea. The entire area was honeycombed with foxholes, trenches, and bunkers, which had become the graves of Red Koreans cut down by Marine air and artillery. There they had died at their posts, crowded together so closely that every shell, bomb, or rocket had caused frightful carnage. The dead outnumbered the living, in fact, for the men of Dog Company met unexpectedly weak resistance from the few NKPA effectives who trusted to their weapons instead of to their feet. Lieutenant Smith paused to regroup in a skirmish line for the final attack to clear the remainder of the ridge. Again, the Marines seemed to prevail by sheer moral ascendancy as the assault went forward by leaps and bounds. But the victory was bought at the cost of the company commander's life, for Smith was killed at the head of his men. Only five additional casualties were taken in this phase, but Marines dropped from exhaustion until McNaughton, as acting commander, had just 26 able-bodied men left at the finish. They were greeted by the strange spectacle of three enemy officers exhorting about 150 Red Koreans to retreat. No second invitation was needed, and the Marines had a turkey shoot at the expense of foemen scurrying down the eastern and northern slopes in the direction of Seoul. Seidel was the only officer left unwounded when Dog Company notified the battalion CP at 1300 that objectives had been secured. Fox Company reported about two hours later that it had also seized all assigned ground and was digging in after a mopping up period. Casualties had not been heavy on the east side of the ridge as compared to the day before. The Company F attack consisted of two prolonged firefights in which the Marines seized better positions and made good use of their advantage. After reaching the objective, they took cover and proceeded systematically to cut the enemy down to size with the support of VMF-214 planes. Captain Peters then sent both platoons forward to eliminate an NKPA force firing on them from a distance. Anderson's men passed through a small built-up area and took cover behind a stone wall on the enemy's flank. Opening fire on communists about 300 yards away in an open field, they made short work of the opposition. Second Lieutenant Wiley J. Grigsby, the machine gun platoon leader, was killed in the day's final Fox Company attack. Anderson's composite platoon had three men killed and three wounded. Among the casualties was Corporal Harris, 
who received a mortal wound after twice refusing evacuation. He was posthumously awarded the Navy Cross. The attack of Easy Company on Hill 105N was delayed until after the two companies took their objectives. At 1500, after moving up from battalion reserve, Jaskilka's men ran into heavy enemy mortar and automatic fire soon after passing Hill 56. Two tanks of the 1st Platoon, Company B, 1st Tank Battalion, were knocked out, one by an AT mine and the other by a direct hit of a mortar shell. The remaining three tanks could not have continued in action except for the efforts of Staff Sergeant Stanley B. McPherson of Company A, 1st Engineer Battalion, who went ahead and cleared a path through the enemy minefield. By some miracle, he survived the hail of NKPA fire unhurt, and the tanks went on to destroy two enemy AT guns and several machine gun emplacements. The main enemy stronghold appeared to be Hill 72, a conical height located between hills 105N and 105C, and enfilading both of them. Not enough daylight remained on 24 September to mount an assault on this position, and the effort was put off until the following morning. Marine Air had a busy day. Lieutenant Colonel Lisheed's VMF-214, repeating the pattern of the day before, launched strikes of five aircraft every two hours in support of 25's attacks northwest of Seoul, a total of six missions. Not only was the city a flak trap, but the Marine pilots were flying Corsairs from which the armor around the air cooler system had been removed by order of Buair as a peacetime economy measure and never restored. As a consequence, NKPA small arms fire was likely to hit the oil lines and send a machine down in flames. A first small record for combat sorties flown in a day by a single squadron was set on the 24th by VMF-212 with 12 flights and 46 sorties. Close support missions were about equally represented along with search and attack. Nightfall of this eventful day found 2-5 in possession of ground containing the most enemy dead in a small area ever seen in the Inchon Seoul operation. Lieutenant Colonel Royce estimated that 1,500 NKPA bodies were left on Hill 56 and Smith's Ridge, and the command of the 1st Marine Division put the figure at 1,750 enemy killed in the Hill 296 defenses. Survivors of Dog Company agreed that in spite of such frightful losses, the Red Koreans had enough able-bodied men left at the finish to make mincemeat of the 26 attackers who took Smith's Ridge. But this Marine effort seemed to break the heart of the enemy resistance in the Hill 296 defense complex, thus giving fresh proof to Napoleon's famous dictum, the morale is to the material in war as three to one. River Crossing of RCT-1 The battle for Seoul entered its final stage on the 24th with the river crossing of the 1st Marines. At first light, a site about 2,000 yards southwest of Hill 105S was cleared by Charlie Company of the 1st Engineer Battalion. Extensive mine clearing operations at the crossing site area caused delays, and it was 0800 when reconnaissance and assault elements of 2-1 embarked in the LVTs of Company A, 1st Amphibian Tractor Battalion. Sutter's troops completed their crossing at 0945 against scattered and ineffectual fire, 
and made contact that afternoon on the north bank with elements of Company C, 5th Marines. For lack of a ferry, the 1st Marines had no tank support at the crossing site. Plans had been made to send Baker Company, 1st Tank Battalion, around by the Huangju Ferry to join the infantry north of the river. As it worked out, however, the armor was delayed by a fight on the north bank which will be discussed in the next chapter. Hill 79, about 4,000 yards from the crossing site, had been assigned to the 1st Marines by Division Operation Order 10-50 as an objective. The 2nd Battalion began a rapid advance toward this point after moving into position on the north bank abreast of the 5th Marines on a 1,500-yard front. The 1st Battalion and Regimental Headquarters were next to cross. Puller ordered Hawkins and his men to drive eastward along the river and pass through the 2nd Battalion. Since that unit was rapidly advancing at the time, one of the 1-1 staff officers looked dubious. You'll just have to advance a little faster, explained the veteran regimental commander. This proved to be a practical, even if not exactly a school solution. On the march, the 1st Battalion had the same experience as the 2nd, when small arms and automatic fire came from Hill 105S, supposedly secured by 1-5. Again, the enemy was demonstrating his ability to hide out behind the Marine lines and make the most of his nuisance value. The 2nd Battalion had two men killed and nine wounded by harassing fires, and the 1st suffered four casualties while passing through at 1300 to continue the attack. Effective Marine artillery and 4.2-inch mortar fire supported the advance. After drawing out of range of Hill 105S, Hawkins and his men encountered long-range small arms fire, and roads into the city were mined. Hill 79 was located in the southwest section of Seoul itself, commanding a good view of the railroad marshalling yards and industrial area. After seizing the objective at 1500, the men celebrated by raising an American flag, thus precipitating a friendly race with the 5th Marines and exuberant ceremonies of this sort. At 1515, the 3rd Battalion was relieved by the division of its mission of defending Hill 108, south of the wrecked Han Bridges, and reverted to regimental control for a river crossing completed at 2000. On the north bank, Ridge's outfit was thought to have pulled the last fangs of enemy resistance on Hill 105S after his men in their turn came under fire from hidden opponents. Since this height dominated the new regimental CP, Company I was given the mission of outposting the height. A small but lively firefight took place at dusk, and the Marines bagged ten prisoners at a cost of one man killed and two wounded. The 3rd Battalion went into an assembly area near the crossing site for the night. Hawkins set up a perimeter defense on the objective, and the 2nd Battalion occupied positions about 2,000 yards in the rear. A few probing attacks were received from enemy patrols on Hill 79, but Marine artillery and 4.2-inch mortars made short work of these attempts. End of Chapter 12, Part 2 Read by Aaron Bennett